When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome into DNVR Avalanche's At The Rink podcast. We are quite literally doing this one at the rink today. I was just about to say that. Yeah, we're, we're at the rink. So this is... This is the most appropriate version of this podcast, man. <laughs> and thankfully, I know there were some sound issues in one of our supplemental videos. There's no loud noises in the background, so it'll be a lot easier to listen to. We, we seeked out a quiet location for everybody, so hopefully, yes, it's a better listening experience. Which isn't easy to do. There's a lot of sounds out there. Yeah, music, we, yeah, children. Music, Zambonis, Ugh, the children especially. Oh my gosh, just all the frolicking and joy and having fun the frolicking jared bednar's media availability today (laughs) not sure we'll be able to really transcribe it might have to go off memory i was gonna say i put it on my instagram without listening back to it and i may need to go in and take it down because yeah they had us right by the ice and the zam the zam was going so we'll see But lots of exciting topics. Honestly, this first topic is one we've teased on other pods because we also didn't genuinely know how to talk about the return of Bo Byram. Because for the longest time, we were being given information and giving everything that we had to everybody else. In the global series, he is a late scratch in that second game. We're told lower body week to week, and those weeks become many, many weeks. We're told in November that he should resume skating. While the team goes on this long road trip, he gets on the ice once briefly, and then he's never seen again. Finally, we catch up after that holiday break in Arizona. We we get a little bit of an update that he's responding to treatment, and it was suggested he wasn't previously, and so now he's on track to begin progressing in the right direction. And at the time, I remember we were a little unsure if that was just more hopeful nonsense. Yeah. But he's back. He's in a full contact jersey. He's going to be getting in games. Yep. There are so many ways in which this bolsters the decor. And it's not just the production that he might add looking at PP2. They might finally have a really potent second power play unit. Yep. But the stability that he adds back into the decor that is going to be running 11-7 still. But it's made yep. so much better with Byron back in the lineup. It just it's, it's that effect that we talk about so much, Megan, with... Um, you know, I thought of a guy like Darren Helm when he came back. Like, yeah, Darren Helm, it's nice to get him back, but it's actually what he does for the rest of the lineup in terms of bumping guys down. And Bowen Byram has a much bigger effect, in my opinion, in that same light. Where, to your point, like, you are bringing the stability back. You are bringing a huge injection of skill and talent back to the top half of your decor. But, and this is no shot against Brad Hunt or Andreas Englund, but you're just bumping those guys down to maybe a more appropriate role, right? Maybe somewhere where they are a little bit better cast in that true seventh D spot, uh, you know, five to eight minutes a night kind of thing um, because you've got someone that you do feel so much more comfortable with and and who is, you know, a legitimate top four defenseman. Um, so it's, it's not just what Bowen Byram is bringing himself it's the effect that he has on the rest of the lineup that I think is so huge in terms of what you're talking about just him coming back and having that effect um, 
a little bit more broadly than just you get Bo Byron back, you can play on the power play, things like that. It just makes that decor so much stronger. Jared Bednar did tell us today, like you said, they are going to keep running 11 and 7. <clears throat> Instead of three of those seven being Brad Hunt, Andreas Anglin, Curtis McDermott, you're talking about two of those guys. Uh, and again, that's not meant to be a shot at them. We've talked pretty regularly about how they've been pretty good. I actually wrote this week uh, in the At The Rink blog that Brad Hunt might actually be a guy that they would consider moving at the deadline because I think maybe he's played his way out of being able to pass through waivers. Um, so again, it's not meant to be a shot at them, but look, let's all just be honest. We all, I think, agree that Bowen Byron is a better defenseman than uh, Brad Hunter, Andreas Englund. And, and so for me, that's just, that's where the big, big boost is. It's, it's the effect he has down lineup. And he's a trusted player too. We talk about usage, especially with that top pairing. Byram is able to reliably eat up 20 minutes a night, and yep. it sounds like they're not really going to withhold him, too, in these games, that they're going to let him play 100% close to it. So I imagine the the pairings today, I'm not sure, are going to look exactly maybe what we'll see in gameplay, because it looked yeah. like he was working with Brad Hunt quite a bit today, but I imagine they're going to have him with Gerard at points, too. What do you think? Yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting in this first game back in Pittsburgh because they are, you know, Jared Bednar told us they're only taking, like Curtis McDermott skated as a forward today, but he said the plan is to go 11-7. and seven. Uh, And so I think maybe that first game, it's going to be a little bit of, hey, you haven't played in three months. Let's yeah. see how your legs are feeling. To answer your question, yes, I do expect that by the time they are coming back from this three-game trip, he he's elevated in that lineup and, and he's not you know, skating on those bottom pairs. I wouldn't be totally shocked if tomorrow night in Pittsburgh we saw him, Bowen Byram, be the one in that 8 to 13-minute range just as he works back in. We hear it from these guys all the time. You can work off the ice, on the ice. You can do all of that. You can't replicate game games play. and game shape and, and game play and all of that. So tomorrow I wouldn't actually be surprised to see him get a lot of reps as maybe the sixth seventh guy yeah by the time they're coming back to Colorado I, I expect him to be a you know bona fide back in that top four and I'm sure they'll be swapping the pairings a little bit throughout the night too just right. getting him looks with different guys but as we talked about it brings about a lot of stability and you talked with him yesterday and learned a little bit more about what he's been dealing with how he's been feeling how'd that conversation go um, just general excitement level getting back back in the group of things and heading into a game day. Yeah, um, really excited. Obviously, it's been a while, so um, some I've been looking forward to. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to come back and have another strong push towards the end of the year here. How did you feel your game was was kind of trending towards the end of before you got hurt? And I guess what's the how do you? adjust in the middle of the season coming back in. Yeah, um, I thought I had a decent start. Um, I didn't think I was playing my best hockey, but I could feel that it was coming. So, um, yeah, it's going to be tough, um, but I've done it before. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm confident with um, jumping back in, and like I said, I'm excited. Is it nice this time you're kind of able to be around the team a little more while you're recovering and still have the, the kind of contact with the guys and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I was just happy it wasn't my head. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was uh, a lot easier to uh, to be out when you're still feeling good and feel like yourself. Um, yeah. You know, a limb is kind of whatever. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was nice. The week-to-week -week timeline that Jared initially gave did it seem like it was going to be that severe, and here we are now, obviously three months later. Just kinda, yeah, what went wrong over these three months? If anything, um, I don't think anything went wrong. Um, it's a finicky injury that you 
don't really know what the timeline is, you know. So, um, yeah, like I said, I don't think anything went wrong. Um, but it's just, I mean, it took me, I don't know, two and a half months, and, and that's what it is. So, um, behind me now, I'm just excited to get going again. Did you have any sense initially when you went out before that game in Finland that it would be this long? Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, I thought I was going to play that night still. Um, and then I just got on the ice for warm-ups and things started to seize up a bit. So uh, I didn't really have any, I don't know, intuition on how long I was going to be out for. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is, so I'm ready to go now. You're happy to get the, the Finland trip in before the injury and get to see your country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was fun for sure. Um, you know, I think it took a bit of a toll on our guys. That's uh, a long trip and a lot of time zones. Um, a lot of nights with not very much sleep with uh, you know jet lag and things but um, I'm really excited you know we're starting to get guys back we're starting to roll so um, yeah we're all looking forward to, to getting down the stretch here. During these last three months the team has had some hot stretches some cold stretches for you as a player are you more itching to get back in the lineup when they're losing five or six straight or when they're going on a run like they're right now? Uh, I mean both when you always want to be playing no matter what the outcome is and the games you're watching so Obviously, when, when you're losing, it, it stings a bit more. You want to be out there helping them out. But, uh, yeah, um, I think we've done a good job of weathering the storm. You know, we've been pretty beat up to start the year. So, uh, like I said earlier, we're, we're starting to get healthy here, having guys come back and, and whatnot, so it's exciting. With that, what are you excited to bring back to the lineup that maybe you've noticed maybe missing here and there? Uh, I thought everyone that's, that's come in um, has done a great job. You know, we've had a lot of D eating up a lot of minutes, so just trying to help out with that. Uh, you know, guys like Kale and, and Taser have been playing 25 plus every night, so that takes a toll on you eventually. So um, just come in and hopefully uh, make their job a bit easier. What, what do you expect coming back? I mean, can't be thrown to the fire. Do you want to ease your way in with minutes, or do you, are you once you're back, you're just back? Uh, yeah, I kind of just rather jump right into it. I mean, um, I'm 100%, so no reason to uh, ease into it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's going to be tough. I've missed a long time, so. Uh, but I'm confident, like I said, I've done it before. Uh, I'm ready to go. How would you describe just your relationship with the athletic training staff and the medical staff and all the folks who got you to this point, right? Because I'm sure there's a lot of communication and working together to, to get here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a team effort. There's a lot of people that goes into it. Uh, a lot of guys behind the scenes that um, aren't on TV every night. So uh, they've done a great job and, uh, you know, I'm back now. So obviously they did their, their job well. How long have you felt that 100% was there a moment where you sort of knew you were good to go? Uh, yeah, kind of, honestly, just clicked for me one day. Uh, kind of hard to describe. I was skating for a bit and just kind of going through the motions. And then one day I was just like trying new stuff. And I was like, well, this feels good. So um, kind of hard to explain. I mean, there's little hiccups along the way once you're 100% as well. But um, yeah, I've probably felt good for a week or so now, like I could be playing. Just wanted to make sure that. I really took my time. I didn't want this thing nagging me the, the rest of the way, so I uh, decided to wait until after the break here, and now I'm ready to go. Did you stick around here over the break, or did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, I was skating and working on it or not, so just stayed around here. Had a couple of days off, which was nice, but uh, yeah, just been um, here hanging out, so it's been nice. Does it help a little bit to feel like you can take that extra time and wait through the break when the team sort of went into it playing pretty hot? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we needed to start playing well. We were starting to dip in the standings a little bit, so we needed to string a few games together like we did. 
um, to, get, uh, to put ourselves in a good position um, after the break. So I think it was much needed. Um, like I said, there's a lot of guys that have been playing a lot of hockey and a lot of minutes, a lot of tough minutes. So they uh, they needed the, the rest, and uh, now they're refueled and ready to go. It's a, it's Pittsburgh, isn't it? That's the elixir, isn't it? I think you came back against Pittsburgh last time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. My uh, first game last year, <laughs> fly to Pittsburgh, I had my gear because I was just in the American League. I forgot it. <laughs> so hopefully I uh, don't make that mistake. <laughs> so no, it was, it was it was a good conversation, and I felt very confident leaving it that it wasn't something um, that. Again, obviously nobody would say this is rushed. He's not coming back anything short of a hundred percent, in my opinion. Um, he seems ready. They seem to have taken the extra day, the extra week. Jared even told us yesterday he was really close before the break, but we didn't see any need to rush him back for a game or two pre-All-Star break. And I think that was the right approach, and he really seems extra sure that he's ready. Um, And so you hope this isn't something that's going to continue nagging. And certainly the immediate impact might be a complete punch to the face, but it's going to benefit the Avs in a big way. You look at the way they were able to string together wins ahead of the All-Star break. I think they were 7-3-0 the last 10 before the break. They're planted right in the middle of the Central right now, and they were in a good position coming out of the break before we knew for certain if Byron was going to return. But it has to add a little bit of confidence and levity back into the room to have a player return, to see that Valnachushkin also appears ready to go. It felt... And this could just be my excitement, but it did felt like there was a really good attitude around the room. And I feel like they were already building momentum, but this addition from Byram and Nuchushkin just makes them feel a lot more confident in themselves moving into the back half of the season. It struck me as, um, I think this break was really needed. I think between Christmas and now was a real grind for this team. Maybe not in the same way that that early part of the season was because the injuries were piling up in such a ridiculous way. But it it, it actually almost felt like that was what made it even more of a grind for them was you have guys coming in and out. You don't really have that, you know, hey, well, you know, we're just fighting through the injuries and whatever. It's like, no, you've got guys back. You've got some bodies. But it's, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, Val, Helm, they're coming in and they're going right back out. They're healthy and then they're not. And, you know, Val, we don't really know what's going on. He was kind of day-to-day there for like two weeks. <clears throat> they had some rough games. Even though they maybe didn't feel like they were playing that horribly, they had some really tough results in there. I think that was a slog for them to get through Christmas to All-Star break. I really do. I think that was a, a, a tough stretch for them. To your point, they got some good momentum right before the break. You get to go into the break. Most of the guys got, you know, the full week off. Obviously, you have the three all-stars that went down to Florida. But we, you know, kind of chatted up with them today that they were still able to unplug a little um, and kind of reset and recharge the batteries. And now you take all of that where it's like you had some good momentum. You feel rested. You feel recharged. You got a nice little break in the middle of the season. And then add in everything that you're talking about here, Megan, of you're getting a top four defenseman back. Val Nachushkin is ready, you know, looks ready to go. We're expecting him to be out there tomorrow uh, in Pittsburgh. And so I just think it's a little bit easier to feel good. You know, it's like heads clear. We're coming off, you know, seven winners, seven out of our last eight before the break. 
We got some legitimate reinforcements back that we haven't had. Bo has been out since November 5th. It maybe hasn't felt that long because there's been so much, you know, he's been week to week since it happened. Right. It's been three months. Three full months as of yesterday that Bowen Byram's been out. Like, you've been without a top, top defenseman for a long time. And so it's just like, okay, here's some actual reinforcements coming in that have been out since the start of the year. Val Nachushkin looks ready to go. And even on just like a morality standpoint, you got Darren Helm hitting the ice on the other side to see if he can make it work. It's just, I think there's more things to feel good about right now if you're the Avs than there have been at any point, especially going back to the Christmas break. Um, and so I think that's maybe kind of what we're picking up on there is they're feeling good and there's a reason to feel good for the first time in a while. They fought hard to get through that yes. slog too. Yep. And yep. I think that was already something to start to feel good about. And then it just feels better. Josh Manson, another piece of that morality that is going to be on this trip, yep. getting some practice in, getting on the ice, but not ready to go just yet, but close. Another yep. guy that is just going to bolster their decor in a really needed way that they could see light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. And they already were beginning to see it before the All-Star break. Yeah, and and one last thing on, on just, the, again, the way that they're – it feels like they're feeling – you said they worked really hard to get through that that kind of grind. That was what I think made some of those losses sting even more was, the, you know, Jared talked about the Chicago game. Yeah, we obviously all kind of see the wheels come off there in that, that stretch – they skated hard. They worked hard. You know, they, they, they felt like they were doing a lot of good things. Nathan McKinnon told me right before the break, after the St. Louis game, that he felt like they're, they didn't have good intentions in the game against Anaheim. But really, other than that, Megan, even going in that losing streak, it's hard to find a game where you can say they didn't have any good moments or they didn't work hard or, you know, for at least parts or, or you know, whatever. So I think it was a grind, and I think they worked really hard, and they weren't getting the results for a while. The results started to come. Then you get the break. Uh, you know, they got kicked in the teeth, too, by Anaheim. So it's not like you're coming in, like, on this, you know, everything's great. You, two games ago, you, you got punched in the mouth by second-to-last place Anaheim Ducks. So, like, there is still that drive, but you, you're still winners of seven in the last eight. So it's still you still feel all right. But you do have that memory very recently of – you can't just come coasting in here, you know? It's a breath of fresh air, too, for players like Dennis Malgan, who came to Colorado, got injured relatively early on into his stint, and then Matt Nieto, he only gets in two games, the first of which being that horrible Anaheim <laughs> game, that these two players now have a chance to look ahead at what their future in Colorado could be, playing mm -hmm. up to their potential, seeing what they can contribute. I feel like they really might feel this renewed sense of being able to lean into that and see what they're able to do with it because mm -hmm. those are two players Matt Nieto just it's a matter of time and then Malgan he was sort of robbed of some more opportunity because he gets hurt so they're going to have opportunity as well that might motivate them a little bit to get up for these games with an added uh, boost in their step yep 100 percent 100 percent the next topic is the deadline it's a two-pronged topic I wanted to begin with the players of interest yeah and I know you wrote about several, so mm -hmm. I don't want to exclude anybody from the conversation, but there are a few in there that I keyed in on, mainly because we have talked about Taves and Kane, so yep. we can absolutely save space to talk about them too. Yep. But some of these other names, like Timo Myers, where I want to start, because he yep. is someone who, or is it Mayer? 
No, it's Meyer. Yeah, Meyer, no, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so just to interrupt you real fast, and this is something that I put in there because I really do think that Megan, a lot of what we talk about is about to come become trade deadline focused, especially coming out of this week, because that's really, that's the next big target, right? And you're about three and a half weeks out from that. So I think it's good for us to start dabbling into this stuff a little bit because as players fall off the board, get moved somewhere else or, you know, talks pick up, we are going to start diving into these guys a lot deeper. Um, so that was why I thought it was good for us to mention it this week and say, Hey, here's some guys to start just keeping an eye on as these could become bigger storylines. And like you said, we've already mentioned Taves and Kane. So yeah, there's a few other guys that interesting to dive into. Absolutely. Like in prioritizing to some of these names that you expect might come off the board sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Meyer feels like one that is yeah. going to entice a lot of teams. I don't know about his specific fit in Colorado just because what he brings is a lot of flexibility on wing, which mm -hmm. isn't, it wouldn't hurt, but it would come at quite an expensive cost. What are your thoughts? It's what you just said right there. It's the cost for me that makes me really pull up on a guy like this and, and say, while I'm not going to rule out that this is a guy that the abs could pursue, I'm, I, I'm not going to do that at all until I see that he's moved somewhere else. I, I just think that this is the hardest one to make sense of right he's having a really good season he's a very good player he's still relatively young he's probably of the guys that are available he's probably going to cost the most you know just maybe ryan or you know, you know i don't know he's going to be up there in terms of what it's going to cost to acquire him and it's just not a like hard slam dunk fit you see exactly where you'd be able to plug this guy in. So that's kind of my pause on a guy like Timo Meyer. While I do think if you were to add Timo Meyer to this group, that's a huge add. He makes the team a lot better. It's hard to see the exact kind of long-term fit, especially with him being a pending UFA and just knowing what the cost is going to be to acquire him. I think that um, the, the free agency status too, he has a, I think a 10 million qualifying offer that is going to be hard then for teams to agree is he upon. RFA? He is RFA. Okay, I'm sorry, so, I said UFA, no, it's okay. Yeah. He's six mil right now AAV, but it's going to become ten mil and that is going to be then more expensive to right. take on. And then at what cost too to the team in terms of right. assets, picks. And we'll dive into the the bait side of the portion too, mm -hmm. like what potential pieces could be moved out. But yeah. similar to a Timo Meyer, um and now I'm second guessing myself as I say it out loud. No, it's Meyer. It's Meyer for sure. <laughs> There are some names I've only read on jerseys because I don't always listen to broadcasts. Yeah. Um, and I'm not always confident in how to say them. Yeah, but no. the other person that I think is in a similar position is Tarasenko. He's another that I think he yes. is not going to move for nothing. Like mm -hmm. he submitted his trade request, was it 2021? I was going to say, I think it's been multiple seasons. And so he's sitting. He is not in a place of accepting any lowball offers. And that is going to mean that clubs are going to have to offer extremely mm -hmm. high assets. And mm -hmm. I just don't think the Avs are in a position to um, make that work for another player who, again, would add them options on wing yeah. that I, I just don't think they can afford that type of piece. Right. Now, here's the one thing I will say about a guy like Timo Meyer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, is, do the Blues maybe feel like, because he's walking, 
Like, I don't know if you saw his quote from All-Star. Like, he's gone. He's not staying in St. Louis after this week. Or, after this week. What is happening to me right now? After this season. Can uh, we redo this whole segment? <laughs> um, you know, he, he's, he's gone. He's out of there. And I, so, I don't know. Do they maybe... Do they maybe have a price, but in the 11th hour say, hey, we haven't got what we, what we right, want. Right, we just need a return. We need anything for this guy because he is he is out of here. Um, and so, I don't know. That is my one thought because I'm with you. I think they're going to ask a lot because how – we say this, and I guess it's happened more often than normal. But, like, that's a big time – that is a – that's not your typical deadline ad. You know what I mean? You, you don't always get guys like – Vlad Tarasenko out there. Now, what maybe is going to work against them is I actually think this is a rare deadline where there are a lot of options out there in terms of guys that you could add that would be a nice, uh, you know, punch to any team. Jonathan Taves. If you're willing to pay a lot for a wing, why wouldn't you call Chicago first on Patrick Kane instead of Vladimir Tarasenko? You know, you got a guy like Adam Henrique. Uh, um, who's the other one that we were talking about? Is it Max about? Domi? Max Domi. He's on my list because he feels like a more appropriate fit. We'll get there. But, but, you know, again, in terms of, like, competition for Vlad Tarasenko, that's a guy that's a center wing flex. You know what I mean? He can play either position. So I, I do wonder a little bit how handcuffed are the Blues going to be by the situation they're in with Tarasenko because I agree with you. I think they would like to get a lot for him. I just don't know if the market will allow them. Well, to. I'm curious where he's unwilling to go and how much that limits what St. Louis is able to right. do too, right. because I'm, I'm sure that the list has been lengthy enough that it has only delayed this from happening mm -hmm. sooner. I think Barbashev was another out of St. Louis that's, is he wanting to be moved or not? Right. Like it, it sounds like it is, but his agent yeah. I think has suggested, oh, that might not be true. And then you've got O'Reilly who is saying, I want to stay here, but he's, a very tough negotiator. It's going to be extremely hard for St. Louis to bring him back. And he doesn't have any trade protection. Is that a guy that maybe it's just, Hey, who's the highest bidder? You know, St. Louis is going to be a really interesting team to watch at this deadline. I think too, because of the season that they've had, it has forced them into a more vulnerable position yep. where they might make decisions. They otherwise wouldn't it's have because of the season that they're having, it's which is it's tough. Like I am not willing this upon them, but I think it is going to be to the benefit of a few clubs. Yep, I agree. I agree. So the other one in there was Max Domi. I, I think he's an intriguing player because of the positional fit that he would have. It's He's he's the pending UFA, and his price point feels a little bit more affordable that he's someone that could come in return. You know, he can fill a top-line role in a system like Arizona, but you know, will that solve a, a 2C problem in Colorado? What do you think about his fit? My worry about Domi, and this isn't fair, and I know it's not fair to hold this against Max Domi. I get worried because he was dropped into a very similar situation in Carolina last year. Hey, come be part of this great group. And he absolutely shriveled up in the playoffs. I did feel like in the spotlight, performance anxiety didn't, rise to the occasion in yep. Carolina specifically. In Carolina. Yep. Now, I do think that Carolina has some other issues. I've, I've talked to some guys around the league, some players in the league about just different teams and, and things like that, and there is kind of the sense that maybe Carolina, they don't their game doesn't lend well to playoff hockey. It's very similar to what they play in the regular season. They, they like to play fast and you know with pace and dump and chase and this, that, and the other. And what I've been told by, again, players in the, in the NHL that 
yeah, that's really tough to play with every single night. It's a Wednesday in the middle of, you know, January, and you got to go into Carolina, and you got to get up and go at 100 miles an hour on every shift. Yeah, that's tough to match up with. But when you get into the playoffs, and suddenly every team's got some depth, and every team can skate, and yeah, you don't have a problem getting up and saying, all right, well, we'll skate up and down the rink with you. And so I think there's maybe a little bit of that, that if you were to put Max Domi into a situation here in Colorado where it's a little bit more structured, I don't know, could he maybe, you know, take that next step and, and really provide what you need in the middle six? Maybe. I'm a little gun shy given how it went last year in Carolina. Well, and I think because they have some flexibility in terms of like an Evan Rodriguez, that they don't really need somebody who might not be a sure thing at 2C. That is where I begin to get a little lower on him. They have a lot of belief in players and rehabilitation projects and getting the most out of their players. Mm -hmm. We also see, though, that Alex Galchenyuk is someone that needs a little bit more time. And this is why a Pugliarvi is a difficult one in this conversation, <laughs> because we are looking at a window of right now. Mm -hmm. I think a Pugliarvi would be great here. Adomi would probably also in time be great here. Yeah. But what is a good solution right now in the immediate that won't require a little bit of time to adapt to systems where you are having to get the most out of a player? See, and so you mentioned Pulley Yarby, and, and just to go down that road. I love him. Because this is the guy that I've been banging the drum for all year. And, and you know, I, I've had a bunch of people be like, oh, well, he, you know, he can't score playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's fine. I don't need him to come here and score. You'd like it, but, like, I, I and, and you don't. We, we talked about we, we talked about Pugliarvi. We will have uh, an entire video series. This is out. just teaser. Real yeah. deep dive on on some of these guys, um, not everyone that we've talked about here. But um, Pugliarvi is one guy that we talked about, uh, and I actually think he'll be the first video series, the first video coming out. So we'll be able to hear a little more about him. But my thing with with Pugliarvi is you don't want to draw the parallels too hard to Val because it's really easy to do that in terms of successful reclamation project. But when I look at Jesse Pugliarvi, I see a player that profiles almost identically to Val Nichushkin when he arrived in Colorado. And the reason I think this one is maybe a little bit more fair to draw that line in terms of can you make this into a successful reclamation project is because they never asked Val to come in and be the player that he is now. He, over four seasons, worked himself into a top six, but he started as a healthy scratch in and out of the lineup five to seven nights, or five to seven minutes. Okay, wow, he really excelled in that fourth line role. Hey, we had an injury, let's bump him up to the third line. Wow, he's really played here in eight to 12 minutes. And now, you know, it's just been this slow build to... He has this coming out party in the playoffs last year where it's like, this is a top line player. This is a top line player on any team in the league. And, you know, I've had a couple of guys tell me that at several points during the Stanley Cup final, in their opinion, being the one sitting on the bench saying, that's the best player on the ice. That's the best player in the world right now. You know, between these two teams, that's the best player. And he didn't get there by being forced into you know square peg into a round hole it was hey we are going to put you in situations to succeed you know it was something that aj mentioned when talking about Pugliarvi. he said you know edmonton's put him in every situation to be successful i actually disagree with that i think they've put him in the zach hyman zach cassian spots go to the net with your stick down he is not a go to the net with your stick down kind of guy he forechecks he back checks he's a great defensive hockey player he's a really strong skater 
Nico Sturm had the, the comment last year, I'm hard to play against, not in the sense of I'm going to put you into the third row, but I'm always right in your hip pocket. My stick is always, you know, right on the puck, and, and I like to get in lanes and be annoying to play against. Jesse Pugliarvi is like that, but he's got the skating. He does have some finishing touch to him. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it before. We know it's in there. I just think that he would be a guy that if you brought him in, one, he's an RFA. Very similar to the Arturi Lekkinen situation last year where you know this is a guy that you'll be able to fold back into your system. 10 points right now, you're probably looking at a bit of a, a decrease in pay going into next year at his $3 million. I think this is a guy that you could bring in and say, hey, go be on our third line. We don't want you to be filling the net on a line with Nathan McKinnon. That's not what we need from you right now. We need you to go play on JT Comfer's wing opposite of Alex Newhook. That's a line that can be responsible defensively, play with a lot of speed, and play with some skill in the situations where they'd be put there. I also think there's a new net front guy for PP2. I just think he's someone that you could shelter, and now you've bolstered your depth because the other part of it that makes this work for me this year is Evan Rodriguez, like you mentioned a minute ago. The way that Erod has played this year, do you need, do you need a top six guy? It would be really nice. It, you're not going to turn your nose up at it, but he's really developed some nice chemistry with a couple of guys there in that top six. And his play actually seems to be picking up the further we go into the season as opposed to the slide that it saw last year uh, in Pittsburgh. So I'm sitting there, I'm saying, okay, between Miko, a healthy Gabe, and Erod, you can spot duty a, a 2C. I think pretty damn comfortably. With the addition of Nieto, and if you were to add a guy like Pulley what did we talk about so much with this team last year? It was the depth right. and how much the depth carried them through <laughs> Against the Against Edmonton. Against Edmonton. And so, you know, I, I just sit there and I say, if you can do that, and suddenly you're looking at some combination in your top six of Nate, Miko, Gabe, Val, uh, Erod, and Arturi. And then your bottom six, you've got Newhook, Comfer, Pulley And then depending on what you've got for Helm, you have four guys for that fourth line of O'Connor, Helm, Nieto, Cogliano. I feel pretty good with that group of 12 slash 13, depending on Helm's health, come playoff time. I, That's just me. I really like Pugliarvi. So, like, this is not anti-Pugliarvi. I, I can tell after all of that. I can just no, see it in your I eyes. Actually, like, I have sold. something to, <laughs> to add to it that is positive as well. But I think in drawing co comparisons to Val, the other is that Val's first season was an immediate success right. and that there is a period of adjustment that happens even for players like Val, who if you could see to extract that kind of value out of a Pugliarvi, it really does feel worth it then. Mm -hmm. Because here's the positive point. Like St. Louis, Edmonton is also strapped in a different way with their cap situation. When Kyler Yamamoto gets healthy and returns to the lineup, they're going to have decisions to make. They're going to be incentivized to move this player that I don't know that they're necessarily going to to ship him off for nothing. But right. it might be to the benefit of another team if the price was right. And I, I have faith in the Avs front office. If this was something they really sought to acquire, yeah. that they would be able to make it work. And some of it might work because of the position that Edmonton is with Pulley And I like what you said there about, excuse me, you're not the immediate success. There's so many of these moves 
both on the list that, that you know we talk we're currently talking about that you know that's in the blog and then just some of the videos you know and stuff that we prepped for these next couple of weeks the vast majority of these guys are rental so you're giving up assets and saying can we repeat can right. we do it again this year this is a guy that i'm i look at and i say i think he could help you in in trying to get there this year i think getting gabe Landeskog and val nachushkin back get you a lot closer there in and of itself especially when you factor in bo byram josh manson like right I think it's still a very good team that at full health, I look out West and I say, I think this is still the best team to me. You add Pulley Yarvey and I think he bolsters your bottom six, but he's also a long-term investment. You're not just getting him for this run. This is a guy that you would hope that if you win a cup in two years, he's a part of it. And, and as he continues to grow, you hope that he grows into that top six, you know, guy that you're hoping for the guy that was a top five draft pick, you hope you can develop that, but you are in a situation where like, you don't need him to right away. You can take your time with that. In Edmonton, because I think they lack a lot of offensive depth and they're not a very dynamic team, it's kind of north-south straight lines. This is kind of how we have to play. They need him to be a producer. Right. Do you realize what a joke it is, Megan, that Connor McDavid has 92 points at the All-Star break? and they are scratching and clawing just to stay on the inside of the playoffs. They need every little bit of production they can get. You're not getting that out of Pugliarvi. For me, the abs don't need him to be that right away. You hope that he would work his way into a 50 to 60 point guy at least, but you don't need that right now. You just need stable, strong defensively, You know, can play within the system, and I think he could give you that day one. I think, too, to people listening who are anti-Poliarvi, it's the appropriate call-out that you talked about his finishing. I think that is where there has been regression for him this season. The productivity is down. That is something I think we're both acknowledging. So I think it's a fair call-out then that you are making it clear your expectation isn't a jump in offense to be injected into the Avs' bottom six. I think it's an important distinction to make because people will go crazy in the comments otherwise. And, and like, could you make the argument – Maybe he would just be a good fit in this system and the production would come. Sure. To me, that's a bonus. I am not looking, at least for this year, we can have a different conversation in the summer if, you know, when they bring, if they, if they were to bring him in and then sign that extension, then you can start having that conversation of, okay, well, when do you want to start seeing the offensive production pick up? I am not worried about that this year. I'm looking for a guy who's responsible in his own end, can play within the system and, I need, you know, you need a goal from him or something like that. You know, late, late in, in the Western Conference Final, kind of like the JT Confer game in the Western Conference Final. I think it was, yeah, it was game four. You know, comes out of the box, right. muscles, muscles uh, Evan Bouchard off the puck. Like, you need one play like that from Yesi Pugliarvi, and he has the toolkit to be able to come up with something like that. And that, to me, is where I'm saying, you're getting a guy that you're not expecting that, but you know that if he gets the puck in the right part of the ice... He at least has the ability in there to come up in one big moment. You don't need this explosion of offense from him. And do you have any concerns the way things that haven't worked out for him in Edmonton, that it's anything attitudinal? No. Uh, And maybe some of that can be that I just don't think that an organization like Edmonton is equipped to deal with a player like Yesit Pugliarvi. I view confidence, too, as maybe the, mm-hmm. the thing that has been affected, but it's not something that couldn't be alleviated <laughs> right. where he's given opportunity. And, 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 and he reminds me a bit of Galchenyuk 
where it feels almost like he has been told by the Oilers, by, who, by you know his entire career, like, hey, just go be big and score some goals. No, this guy needs to be worked into the system. Like, you, you, you need to find a role for this guy. He's so, even this year, Jesse Pugliarvi is having a great season defensively. Like, he's putting up elite numbers in his own end, you know, from like an analytics standpoint. Build something around that. And that's what I think this Avs staff has done extremely well is, hey, we see what this player's strengths are. We are going to put them on a line in a role within our system that benefits that player specifically. And they're good about doing that for a lot of guys. They put them in situations where it's maybe not the most obvious. Yeah, I see where that makes sense. Again, Val is just the easy example to come to. Over his four years here, five years maybe now, I don't fully remember. Um, it hasn't always been the most obvious, this is where he's gonna light it up, but it's been areas where he can succeed. And I think simply strapping him, strapping Jesse Pugliari to Connor McDavid and saying, we well, put him in a situation to succeed, I don't really buy that because he's just not that type of player. I think it brings about two important topics that we can put a pin in because the first is Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah. He's an interesting side conversation just about how he is progressing in Loveland and how he's embraced that opportunity seemingly without raising an eyebrow, putting up a stink. Like he seems to be embracing it fully. Do you have any, I know this is a little bit off the board, but just Alex Galchenyuk, it seems like he's been on a little bit of a roll down there. Yeah. Have you had any conversation with uh, Crow? Yeah, I've talked to Crow a couple times. He really likes what he's doing there. You know, like he's digging in on all the areas that we asked him to, you know, really paying attention to his checking game and what he has to do there. Crow really likes him. He thinks he's he's been really good for him, chipping in offensively and um, been a real good team guy for him. So we've had conversations about pretty much everybody there. The other side of that, too, is the Avs are looking to compete in the playoffs, and so they're not necessarily in a position of building, mm -hmm. developing. But Pugliarvi is available right now, so you don't want to pass on a player like right. that just because of that if it is there is some future value that could be extracted from this player because somebody is going to get Pugliarvi this I, deadline. I, I look at Pugliarvi, and, and again, not in terms of my expectations, but like at a guy like Lekkonen, that when they brought him in last year, that wasn't like the sexiest pickup. But you said he's an RFA, you can fold him into your plans, and he does a lot of things really well that you like. Now, Lekkonen was also having a good offensive season last year, but the offense that he has, the, the, the offensive success that he's had here in Denver is night and day from what Lekkonen had in Montreal. And again, so that's just kind of how I look at Pulley It's a long term investment beyond this year. And there's enough there that you really, really like that you think you could, you're happy with it. So pretend Pugliarvi happens. Is there a need you see then for the Avs to, to fulfill, to be playoff ready, what they need to be competition ready? Um, or do you feel like it satisfies? Are, are you looking at something more minimal like another defenseman, a depth defenseman. Yeah, something like that maybe, but like honestly, Megan, like for me, if, if you're if you decide to do a Pulley you did Nieto, you did Pulley you addressed your depth because you you're, that's you saying, we think our top six is strong. We believe in our top six. Um, again, your, your 2C role, it's a little up in the air, 
but I mean, like, they kind of ran Nate, Gabe, and Val as a shutdown line in the final last year. You know, at times. Like, I think you have the horses situationally. If you need to flex JT Comfort up in the lineup and, and you skate him, you know, if you're really having a tough matchup, you really need, like, a shutdown line, you could skate JT with Gabe and Val. You know, like, you can find your your shutdown pairings there. Does a bona fide 2C make that easier? Sure. But I look at this team, and Megan, this is also just me looking around the league. I say a fully healthy abs plus Jesse Pulley I don't see a team out west that on paper beats that group. On paper. Obviously, crazy shit happens all the time. And so to answer your question, if they did that, I would say if you wanted to go get a 7th D, a Jack Johnson type for a 6th round pick, cool, I'm fine. Otherwise, that would satisfy for me in the same way that Arturi Lekkonen did last year, where you're adding a guy that you hope can maybe provide more than what you're expecting, but you have a level set expectation for him, and you know that he's in the plans beyond this year. And looking at Arturi Lekkonen and Josh Manson, those were acquisitions that did come at a cost. So mm-hmm. that's that's the next part of this conversation is looking at what sort of assets Colorado has to give up. And yeah. we won't go into every single one in the same way that we won't go into every player of interest around right, the deadline. Right. But we, we'll start with some of the notable call-outs. I wanted to start with Oscar Lawson, but I feel like for the sake of time, we should start with John Luke Foodie because mm-hmm. he just represented Colorado in the All-Star game. Yep. He got in nine NHL games kind of unexpectedly this yeah. season. And for that reason, I think his stock is on the rise because – it's interesting. Alongside someone like Olausen, who has that first-round pick pedigree, mm-hmm. whereas Foodie doesn't, I still feel like the success that he's having in Loveland because he is the leading points um, tied with Houdon and is on that top line, is on power play one, and he's 21. Mm-hmm. He's doing this in his, I want to say it's his third-year pro. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of intriguing things happening with Foodie that – make him enticing around the deadline probably to other teams or or am i overvaluing no him? I, I he's he's again and, and and if you're the abs this maybe is kind of tough because i think he was maybe he was doing this under the radar last year you know we talked about the impact that he had for the eagles uh, on an earlier episode about the rink the impact that he had for the eagles in the playoffs and i think this is a guy that again was maybe a little bit of an under the radar like you know c-mac and 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 the abs front office was kind of like hey we know we've got this guy like we think this is a real chance i think that's why he got a call up maybe even earlier into the injuries than some of us thought because there were several call-ups that came after jean-luc foodie was already with the abs he got his call up none of us thought it was going to happen and i didn't think he looked out of place did it was it obvious that he needed more time to develop he's a young player yes absolutely he did not strike me as someone who looked overwhelmed by being in the NHL. And I think that caught the attention of a lot of teams. You and I talked, I actually think it was also on an earlier episode about how he probably moved himself up the depth chart of, of abs, you know, in terms of um, prospects and call-ups and things like that. And then for him to go back down to the American league and continue to have the success that he's had, go to the AHL all-star game. Um, I think this is a guy that you can, if, if you're if you're a GM looking to acquire him, you can dream on him. And if you're the Avs trying to sell him, which I don't know if they are, but, you know, in a deal, you can really sell on the upside. 
fast, good hands, has a has a nose for the net, uh, despite being a little bit undersized. He's got skill. He doesn't have the hardest shot. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he has a 15.1 shooting percentage. Right, right. He, 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 you know, he fills the net. And look, when he came to the NHL level, watch the tape. He had a couple shifts, a couple stretches where he struggled. But on the whole, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find him to say that that wasn't a successful NHL stint for him. And especially if you're talking about, again, just using Jonathan Taves, because I think that's a name that we'll hear a lot over the next three weeks tied to the Avs. If you're Chicago, are you not just dropping Jean-Luc Foodie right into your NHL lineup for the rest of the season? You know what I mean? Like, I'm why? laughing just because they have done some weird things with their prospects. Well, that the, I'm like, you should play Jean-Luc Foodie, but right. I'm not confident you would, Chicago. Well, it's, it's, it's because they've done weird things with their prospects, despite what Gary Bettman says about teams not tanking. They are, they're openly saying, like, yeah, this guy's playing too yeah. well for us to keep him with the yeah, NHL We're not going to destroy his confidence right. getting in games here. We're going to let him build his confidence at the American League because we don't need him to play well right now. Right, right, right. And it's like, I don't know. It kind of looked like he was building some confidence. Yeah, down. But, 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 you know, Chicago, Arizona, you know, like Arizona is a team that I, I think about with Foodie where it's like if you're having to get – them involved to eat some money is that the guy that they would like and again like there i do just think there are some of these teams near the bottom of the league where i'm sorry you just won't convince me that jl foodie wouldn't be right into their lineup day one or 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 isn't at least good enough to be in their lineup like and so i think that there are several teams that are probably sellers of the deadline that look at a guy like foodie and say we could do that We, we like that guy i think the upside is fun and I do think it flew under a lot of people's radars in for a couple reasons. His development happened kind of rapidly at the end of last year mm-hmm. because he was a frustrating player at the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. And he really started to figure some things out in his game around March and then through the playoffs, he really stepped into a bigger role and just continued doing that. Yeah. His growth has been lightning fast. And even the way that Cronin talks about him is very cautious. He he did finally start to talk about Foodie's potential NHL upside because that was always the curiosity. At the American League level, he's a top-line player, mm-hmm. terrific puck carrier. You just notice him when he's on the ice. That's not his NHL role, though. Mm-hmm. He is more likely to be a third-line type player at the NHL level, at least for right now. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it ahead of the All-Star game specifically. Yeah, yeah, you can drop that here. And it's not to limit Foodie to just third-line potential because we see the way in which his growth has happened so rapidly. You see this player who fell to the third round in his draft year is on the top line of his team this year, and he's you know the points leader, getting call-up opportunities, representing them in the All-Star game. That is an interesting track for him. Do you know what his listed height is? I believe he is 5'11". I'd say 5'11", is probably, so he's probably about 5'10". <laughs> it, well, it could be six feet. I could see him being in between that window. And yeah. also, I said he was 21, potentially. He's actually 20, so he's even younger. He's even younger. Yeah, see, I, I look at that, and again, a little bit smaller guy. I'm curious. Third, you know, third-round pick, like, that's still, like, that, it's not first-round pedigree, but, like, you expect an NHL or... Every team hopes they can get an NHLer out of a third-round pick, and you wonder how much did he fall uh, because of the size. 
Uh, 20. 5'11". Yeah. And oh, 20. 5'11", yep. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that if he sticks with the Avs, that's a guy that I think could be part of the long-term plans. But I, I unfortunately think because of just kind of the emergency he's, that he's had, like you said, at the end of the last year in the American League and then his, uh, you know, nine games in the NHL this year, I think the Avs maybe didn't have such you know he wasn't looked at as a high-end prospect coming into this season i think he's kind of teetering on you know really good to high-end prospect right now in the eyes of other gms and the other side of that coin is oscar lawson because he's also 20 years old he does have that first round pedigree and it's his first full season pro Mm -hmm. i don't think it's going badly i think he's doing well he's Mm -hmm. actually assumed this sort of second line role and he's been playing alongside um Smallman and Bleed, which, you know, Bleed has been a call-up faithful for Bednar, so that's a trusted player, plays the way that Bednar likes him to play, Alausen's being paired with him, and he's seeing success, he's contributing at important moments, but his production isn't, you know, quite to the level of, say, a John Luke foodie, but Mm -hmm. he's getting looks on PP2, he gets one NHL game, however, this is the game Evan Rodriguez gets hurts in, and so they shift the lines throughout the course of that game that his already limited ice time was even more limited, that we never really got to see what he looked like mm-hmm. at the NHL level. But as far as the people keeping track at home, his games in Loveland have been good. He's been improving. He has been a lot stronger um, in the offensive zone, trying to be heavier on the forecheck, hunting pucks, because this was a criticism of his junior career is that he could get caught puck watching at times. It's something he's actively working on. I genuinely see the improvement too. It's just, you know, we gave Foodie the back half of his last season to improve. Like there's still time for Oscar Lawson to experience that kind of rapid growth too, but it isn't jumping off the page at, mm-hmm. at you quite the same, but that probably still is enticing because of that first round pedigree. It's for me, if, if you're talking about moving Oscar Lawson, it's two things that make him such an easy sell. That's what you just said. It's the first round pedigree and it's the shot. I was going to say his height too, but you're, and, you're and right. The, and the, the shot, the size. he's big. He yeah. is big yep. and he does so have an impressive yeah, and that's a great call up. shot. Yeah. It's, that's the one thing about his game that he still has a long ways to go. You know, again, I talked to a couple of the guys at the beginning of the year about him. Um, and that was kind of the sense that I got was a lot of potential. He's a couple of years, couple of years out. That shot is not. The shot is NHL ready. Uh, we've seen it in the preseason at the NHL level. Uh, we've seen it in the American League. The shot is an NHL shot. So I think you could say, hey, you know, NHL GM, this guy's a first-round pick. He's huge. And look at that wrister. And I think he's he's probably the easiest one because I really do, Megan, I, I actually see him as having some of the, like, the lowest ceiling. Not the lowest ceiling, but... I'd be the most all right with them moving on from him. That's not that's not a slight against him. I think if he ends up making it into this Avs lineup in two years, I think you're hoping for like an Andre Burakovsky type. I just think he is still far enough out from being able to help you, and and he has the potential to maybe just be a little too one dimensional. Um, that I think he's an easy one to sell, and one that you're all right moving on from. It's interesting. Um the Burakovsky conversation because what became so frustrating for people with Burakovsky could be consistency. Yep. And that's 
with such a young player, it's still a concern, but it's also not one that you get too worried about because there's time for him to figure that out. And I don't even think it's been a terrible problem this year, but it has been something that is carried with him this time that he is so young enough that we don't really know what Oscar Lawson's going to become. Sure. We don't even know what Foodie's going to become. The other name I included in this was Samparanta, and he's yeah. actually been playing pretty well alongside Galchenyuk in Loveland mm -hmm. as of late. Um, he's an interesting guy because we've seen a lot more of him at the NHL level, and it it hasn't. He just hasn't quite looked ready, especially in his own hand yeah. def defensively. He looks unconfident in himself, and then in the offensive zone, you're not sure what to expect of him offensively because sometimes. He looks like he is reading the game at a slightly slower pace than his line mates, but he plays with such speed and power that he is usually at the front end of a play, but he's not usually making the decisions to execute in a timely manner. And so I think it has affected his production, too. That's sort of where he's also kind of middling, but he has found success alongside Galchenyuk. He, he's an interesting one, too. I don't know if you had him in the piece for a possible trade deadline bait, yep. too. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you make of him? Um... Great size. I think he's maybe been the one that I've been the most disappointed with given how his college career went. When they drafted him, I really liked the upside because of the size, because of the skill. He liked going to the net, good hands around the net. And we, we worried, will it, will it translate when he gets against bigger, stronger competition at the NCAA level? And he was great. His game took a lot of really big steps. Uh, he comes into training camp last year, has a good camp, makes a team out of out of training camp. And man, it just seems like he's stalled out since then. It's tough. I'm, I'm sighing because we've seen the way lines in Loveland are a little weird. Like you'll have third, fourth line players that are Sam Barata and Shane Bowers. And you're kind of asking yourself what that's about. Sometimes it is genuinely because there are other players playing above them at that point in time, and other times it's because that is where they would be expected to play at the NHL, mm -hmm. and they are working on developing third, fourth line habits. With Ranta, I do see the ways in which they want him to be a well-rounded player. He gets looks on both the PP and the penalty kill. He is a really powerful forward, which yeah. is what they want him to be at the NHL level. And you talked about the size. That's the obvious tool that he has that yeah. is undeniable and the effort to. There is engagement shift by shift. That is never a concern of mine with Ranta that I I want to. And you, we talked to him, too. His attitude is always really good, it's confident, great. good head on his shoulders. Yep. Uh, so that's another thing that's just uh, uh, makes him a stronger player, right? It, but it, it's still hard because it just hasn't quite panned out. And I don't know if it's a matter of more time um, for, for Ranta or what, but... It, it does become a difficult part of the conversation. If I had, if, if you were asking me to put money on it, this is the one dude that I would bet gets moved this this deadline because he is, I think, for the Abs, the the prototypical uh, like mid mid tier prospect where you can point to you know the college and you know his college career and how how much he excelled and the size, the effort, the attitude, um, you know, the skill is still in there somewhere um to me this this guy is the one that makes he makes the most sense in terms of like a second round pick in sampo ranta you know what i mean like that type of deal i don't know who you know you're necessarily talking about there but let's just use yes i don't know is that yeah uh a second in 2025 in sampo ranta i could you know that's just kind of where i see this He's a sweetener. 
he's not going to like push this deal over the, you know, he's not going to take it into like the next stratosphere. You're fine with giving him up. Um, I think most teams would probably keep him in the American league, see kind of what you've got. Uh, that's kind of how I see Ranta. I, I really like the player. I love, I love the dude. He's always awesome to chat with. Um, like you said, great attitude. Seems he's got a great head on his shoulders. Um, I just think that he's the one I, you know, I mentioned that you can live with moving on from a Lawson. I think you can even more so you, you can totally get by without Ranta given the rest of your prospect pool up front. I do think like with a Lawson, there's a little bit more, uh, more uncertainty of what he used to become with Ranta. Yes. There's more NHL opportunity that awaits him in the immediate, probably elsewhere. Like there is a path to the NHL here. It just, I, I think it could be longer and winding. I could see it being more immediate. Really yes in a different organization that yes. he, he might have opportunity that he doesn't otherwise have here. Whereas with an Alausen, with a foodie, there's still a lot of runway left for them mm-hmm. that it might be to the benefit of a player like Ranta to, to get another look elsewhere. Yeah, Not that I'm ready for them to move on from any of these players, <laughs> but. Uh, so I, 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 we just cut a bunch of stuff out that people are going to know, but I have to publicly give you shit for not bringing up Sean Barron's during the process. I, I honestly didn't want to. He's in the piece, but I was like, I don't even want to utter his name. The uh, less people know about Sean Barron's, yeah. the better. I, and I and I did write in there, I think the Avs are going to do everything they can to keep from moving on from Barron's. But I think if push comes to shove and they think this is the deal, they'll be willing to, but... We're moving on from Barons. I do think that they are going to try their hardest to not deal him. I do too, but I was burned by Justin Barron. So, <laughs> oh, Hallison, all right, fine. Yeah. They won't. Surely they won't move Barron. Oh God. Worked out all right though. No, it did. You know what? I, actually, you brought up a point about how Ronto would spend a little time in the American League. Barron and Hallison. Baron less so have been spending time in the American League as well. They were not fully NHL ready. Like mm-hmm. Baron is teasing that line, but Hellison certainly is also spending time in the American League. I think they've both had call-up opportunities, but neither of these players were ready-made NHL players. Mm-hmm. Neither is Sean Barron's. I don't think he. Im- yeah. I I personally don't think he immediately jumps into the NHL either. But you don't want to give up on on all of your defensive prospects. Right. Right. Again, if they have to, I think they will. I think they're going to try to avoid it. Okay, Alex Newhook. First of all, this is not the segue for real, but is he in consideration to be a movable asset around the deadline? I don't think so. I've heard I people either. mention that. I, I I think if there's any trade that's, hey, we want Alex Newhook coming the other way, I just don't think the Avs are getting involved in that. I think he's too much part of their long-term plans. Unless it is a deal that absolutely is going to like knock your socks off. And honestly, Megan, I, like, I can't even... I, I can't even think of one that you would say, yeah, you're okay with that. Even recency bias aside, like, right. you wanted him to ascend to 2C right at the beginning of the year, and he didn't. And so his ascent has been much slower, but now he's at this point where he is playing well. They've known who Alex Newhook is mm-hmm. this whole time, even when he wasn't performing to what they might have hoped. They still knew what he was. They, I do not think that they were looking at moving him unless something injury-wise mm-hmm. warranted desperation and necessity but like they're, they're not in that room and he is starting to play to expectation you really have to give him some credit and for these last few games ahead of the break Megan my thing that I, I just I it drives me insane talking to people he's 20 he turned 22 last week he's in his sophomore season pump the brakes it's okay it's okay that he's not a 30 goal scorer right now two three years from now 
Yeah, you maybe would like to see him in that 25 to 30 range regularly. This is a young kid who's early in his NHL career. I think the Avs, the fact that he is a bona fide NHL regular, there is no consideration that you would send a kid like that down. If you tried to, he'd get, I guess he's probably waiver exempt, right? Because he should ELC. still be. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, you're not messing with that at all. He's a second year player. He's fine. Like he, he's fine where he's at. And then to your point, he's getting. Like you're seeing the the curve starting to go up. I just don't think this is a guy that they would move unless it is something seriously like, uh, and, and this isn't even like realistic for this year, but let's say Edmonton like misses the playoffs and they decide they got to completely start over and Leon Dreisaitl hits the trade block. That's a guy for me. We're like, you're saying like, yeah, it's Alex Newhook. It's a first, et cetera. But like for me, Megan, it really does. You have to be talking about like, a top tier player to be getting Alex Newhook involved for me. He's too young. There's too much upside. First round pick. Uh, you know, I've had a bunch of people like, oh, he's just Tyson Jost. He has already had a higher season point total than Tyson Jost has had at any point in his career. He did it in his rookie year. He's not Tyson Jost. All due respect to Tyson Jost. <laughs> uh, you know, like that's just not the reality of what you're dealing with here. He is still a guy that can play in the middle of the ice for you. That is a... People don't have to like him here in Colorado. That's a very, very, very valuable trade piece. If you're talking about taking a 22-year-old middle six wing slash center who has a 40-point season under his belt. You're not... You're not just giving that guy up for whatever. No, I'm glad we got that out of the way, but full disrespect to Tyson Jost. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding to our listeners. That is a joke. Someone send that to Tyson Jost. That Megan Angley says full disrespect. He's been through enough. <laughs> but this is where we can now talk about the ways in which Alex Newhook has started to become the player that we had really hoped from the beginning of the year. And there are lots of things we could point to like not having consistent line mates is a thing it's context mm -hmm. but it's not an excuse right. for the start of this season some of he's it he's had I think a couple is, games where he's been flanked by like martin cow and andrew cogliano again not taking a shot at either one of those guys but it's like dryden hunt do right, you remember right. that name yeah <laughs> it's like i do are you really expecting him to you know be a be a world beater in terms of production when he's had a dozen games this year with those as his line mates given injuries and stuff Relax. Well, and that's part of it. And so now there is maybe... 30-point season, not a 40-point season. He had 33 points last year. Excuse me. There's maybe consistency. It's uncertain. The line rushes today actually were a bit different. But mm -hmm. it's uncertain then how Newhook... Honestly, I could see them like alternating that third and fourth line, like giving him shifts with... I think that with the seven that they're going to do, I think, yes. that, I think it's going to be like a bottom five that's just going to be a... And I don't think like Cagliano and OC will be completely locked to McDermott. I yeah, think I they're going to give Newhook shifts with them as I well. I actually think McDermott gets scratched tomorrow. If I had to bet, I think McDermott gets scratched tomorrow because he gave them 12. When we asked Jared after, we said, are you going with 11 and 7? He said, that's all we have right now. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I could see that being a little more realistic. Yeah. But but again, it's just no. to, to your point of Very Newhook, realistic. Newhook getting different looks. Looks on, looks on both. Interested to see, too, then, what he looks like in the middle of Malgan and Nieto. 
Um, I think that's an interesting change of pace too, because it, it's similar. The things that that line I think can do well will be similar to what OC and Cogliano have been able to do well with him. And I think that has inspired some of the positive change that we've seen in him, because this looks to be a player that is more confident driving play up ice. You knew that he was capable of, he has experience at center, but he looked a lot less confident earlier on. See, and that was why, and we're not going to move the conversation backwards, but like I go back to a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi, why I look at him as maybe one of the best fits for this Avs team, because that would enable you for the rest of this season to say, it's new hook, it's comfort, it's Pugliarvi. There's your third line. Go develop chemistry. New hook's your lefty, comfort's your righty. You have centers for either side of the ice, and those are three guys that, that can all play. They all have, you know, they're not Dryden Hunt. They're not, you know, Andrew Cogliano, who just fills a very different role on this team. Uh, uh, and he does it extremely well. But it's a very different role than what you're asking out of a guy like Alex Newhook. Part of the reason why I think Pulley makes sense is because you, you're building some infrastructure around Newhook by saying, here's some line mates for you. And I like the way that they can be inspired or their play can complement the way the other likes to play. Exactly. Like in the case of Newhook, I talked to Logan O'Connor about what Newhook has brought to this line that might be different or special to Newhook because they were locked into Comfort at the center there for a while because it was trusted, it was reliable. But Newhook has brought about something to this line that has also bolstered OC's production yes. as of late. So they're all helping one another. How How is a line of Newhook, Comfort, Pulley, not just a JV version of McKinnon, Nachushkin, Landeskog. I like. I, I <laughs> didn't think about that in that way. But you know what I mean. Like, is that not really just like your, yeah, like your JV, like new hooks, your McKinnon. He's got the skill. JV comfort. Yeah. <laughs> you know he, he's got the skill. He can distribute. He's got the shot. He's you know he's kind of your finisher. JT Comfort plays that Gabe Landeskog role, front of the net, digging pucks out. You know agitator not afraid to go below the goal line and then jesse Poyarvi is your hounding pucks creating turnovers causing havoc below the, the the dots uh you know getting back you know back into the excuse me back checking on the play um you know causing turnovers like you really do just have that you know that first combination of guys that we saw just cause absolute nightmares for victor hedman in the stanley cup final then you've got some combination of Miko, Erod, and Lekkinen. You've got your two Finns, and then you know Evan Rodriguez, who's shown to be a great distributor of the puck. And then you have just a slightly lesser version of that top line coming in there. And and as much as this is talking about bringing in Pulleyarvi, Newhook is the the crux of that. He is the Nathan McKinnon. He's going to be the one to push the puck over the goal line. But you're giving him teammates there that complement what he does and put him in positions to be able to be the trigger man on that line. And, and I just think that new hook is why I find a deal like Jesse Pugliarvi or, you know, we talk about it in, in these videos coming out, like a Jonathan Taves, if you have to drop him down to the third line, if he just doesn't have the legs, it's about finding guys for Alex Newhook because I think he will play an equally as important role come this playoff uh, run that, you know, that they're hopefully going to go on. He is going to play a big role in that depth scoring, and you need that that punch coming out of your bottom six. You're going to be looking to new hook, I think, a lot, and giving him guys that insulate him and give him a push. I think is huge. We found some good chemistry there, and um, we all try to play with a lot of pace in our game. I think that's the biggest thing is trust our skating. Um, if we're all skating and 
trusting our instincts, jumping into holes. I think uh, you know we'll be able to put D-men on their heels a little bit, get odd man rushes, and then ultimately generate chances out of those odd man rushes and create ozone play. Yeah, he's playing with a lot of pace, like I mentioned. I think. Um, a big thing as a winger is he's done a great job of on breakouts being in great positioning to uh, make our lives a little bit easier there. Um, when you have good like low center support, it's always uh, effective to have that as an option. Or um, you know having the other weak side winger slashing across, you have the ability to chip it as well. So I think the breakouts are giving us a lot of success. Um, getting into the offensive zone, getting in and out of the zone quickly is uh, always a key for, for any line. And I think he's done a great job of helping us with that. I think it's an interesting call. When you talked about Nico Sturm and the way that he was difficult to play against, I think this is the type of player that complements Newhook very well. Newhook, I think, has become more active in puck battles and winning them, but it is not without the help and the aid of his linemates also helping in on those battles. And that's where I think someone like Pugliarby would be particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. This is where I think that the heavy forechecking that both Cagliano and OC pursue has helped Newhook too because they're able to sustain zone pressure because they retain possession. They retrieve pucks even when they lose it. And the the call out that OC made for Newhook specifically was the speed and the way that this helps him to break out and drive play. It's a a north-south game and I think that this is what this line does well Mm -hmm. and the speed that Newhook brings in transition especially has made it work for them I agree and, and and that's where again we've talked about if you're making acquisitions at this deadline or you know whatever you, you, as much as it's about this playoff run you also want to be setting yourself up long term do you really want to be giving stuff up for pure rentals I'm fine with that if they decide that's the route they want to go but I just look at this and I say I, I don't want to discount Alex Newhook's role in this bottom six this season and if you can bring somebody in who maybe helps him and gets him a little bit more stability i don't think you can overlook that as very important as much as you'd like to add a top six guy if you add gabe landiscock back you're getting down the back i still think you feel pretty comfortable you want to make sure you're giving alex newhook tools to be successful and you look at the way the production has trickled in for him it is not on important moments he is opening the scoring he might be some of the only to get on the score sheet like it'll be a top guy and then there's Alex Newhook in Mm -hmm. the depth and it is a formula to a winning team that he has become a pivotal part of yep I agree and you want to make sure that you're like I said putting him in situations to be successful because I do think Alex Newhook will play a bigger role in this year's playoffs than he did last year I It feels like there's a Ben Myers conversation in here too then with the way that this forward group is starting to look, Pugliarvi or not, does Ben Myers fit in this group moving forward? Because there's a question of Malgan. What happens of Malgan? If you asked me pre-break, I would have said yes. Um, We asked Jared Bednar yesterday if Ben Myers is getting called back up and he said, we'll see. They're heading on a three-game road trip and Ben Myers ain't going with it. Part of me wondered if... He goes back in his first game back, he gets on the board. He finds the back of the net. He was unable to do that after, what was it, that October game mm-hmm. and then not a point ever since. If there is something really important about having him build his confidence at the American League right now yeah. because he wasn't scoring, he wasn't producing. And it's not to say that he is a sure thing to come back to the Avs group at some point later, but there is probably a lot of time that is needed back at the American League to build up his confidence again. I have to imagine this last stint didn't feel great. 
I think he's part of their long-term plans. I agree. And so they are okay letting him sit down there because they're saying, and I'm sure they're telling him this, telling him this as well, you are going to be coming back when you're ready, whether it's this season, next season, you know, whatever. We have, you know, we have you in our long-term plans. We just got to make sure that, you know, you're ready for that moment. And I think I'm at the point where I'm, I'm, I'm not considering Ben Myers for the rest of this season. I'll keep his name in pencil. You know what I mean? I don't think it's the last we've seen of him at all. But I, I, I don't – I'm the full-time position that I, in the offseason, penciled him in as has become a lot cloudier for me, especially if Alex Galchenyuk – it sounds like he's really getting to work on mm. some of the details of the defensive side of his game. That just adds another player to the queue, and then Mikhail Maltsev gets healthy. It's just a weird situation then. Matt Nieto. Matt Nieto, Matt Nieto also is ben here Myers now. Job already here, yeah. So, so that that's kind of my point. You got Matt Nieto. How can you be overlooking Alex Galchenyuk given what he's doing in the American League right now? Uh, ben Myers, I just think, you know, he's a good player. I, I, like I said, I do firmly firmly believe he's part of their long term plans. It's an uphill battle for him right now. And I, I like the call out though. I do think he's a part of long term plans, and I hope this really does bolster his confidence. I hope he doesn't see this as some kind of setback, and I hope he he finds the finishing touch at the American League level and comes back a better player for it. I agree. Yeah. All right. We've done a lot here. Saying, this is the longest episode so far. And the thing is, we didn't even talk about everything we could have possibly <laughs> talked about. I'm sorry, everyone. That is it for today. <laughs> Megan Ingley, Jesse Montano, DNVR Avalanche at the Reek Podcast. We'll be back next week. Hopefully it will be shorter or longer. <laughs>